Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. I'm going to start a new uh, series, and uh, people were asking me if I was starting Revelation, and I, and I told you that already in summer. I'm not doing Revelation right away. Okay, I'm going to do that in the new year. Okay, I have some other shorter series I want to do first. And the first series I want to do is I want to do a series called Beginnings, and it's on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Okay, that's what I want to start today, Beginnings, Genesis 1 and chapter 2. And uh, one of the things is, before I can even get to Revelation, is before we can talk about endings, we have to talk about the beginning. And, and it's, it's interesting that a lot of churches in our culture today, in Canada and the U.S., uh, pretty much ignore the first few chapters of Genesis. In fact, many of them ignore uh, all of Genesis. And there's this real emphasis on very practical teaching messages, which is great. The Bible has lots of practical wisdom. I love that, and we do that here as well. But my point is, if you don't have the foundation right, it doesn't matter what the rest of the stuff that you build on is, how neatly it's taught, or how practical it is for your daily life. If you don't have the foundation, you have nothing that will stand. And, uh, and so the first verse, I'm going to spend this first message just doing the first verse, and I, I won't do that for the rest of the two chapters, but... This first verse, uh, many of you uh, probably know it by heart, but this verse really has tremendous power in it. And uh, it has, and I'm going to show you this later in the message, this first verse of Genesis has really actually uh, set us up for, the modern, for modern, the modern world as we know it. Our modern life is actually, in many ways, has been birthed from a worldview that's based on Genesis 1 verse 1. And I, I'll show you that as this message goes on. But this verse, the truth behind this verse, not that people have consciously thought about this verse while they were doing things throughout history, but this verse, uh, the worldview behind this verse, has had and has and continues to do change the trajectories of human history and civilization. And, uh, and the first verse is this, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And again, many of us know this one by heart, but these are the first words, the first sentence, the first verse of the Bible. The rest of the Bible is all based on that one sentence. If that sentence isn't true, nothing else stands. If it's not true that God created the heavens and the earth, then there is no Jesus, the Son of God. There's no resurrection. There's no salvation. There's no redemption. There's no hope. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is the foundation for it all. And so I want to just spend this morning meditating a little bit on six big implications from that verse. And again, I know, uh, you know, it's not that, and you'll see this throughout the message, it's not that people are consciously always thinking about this verse, but there are huge implications in this verse that even if we're not consciously thinking about them, radically change your worldview radically change the way you and I live. And there's actually more than six. I could, uh, there was lots I, I could have talked to out of this verse, but there's just uh, six I want to look at this morning. Six implications of this first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first implication, very obvious, is that there actually is a God out there somewhere. Okay, there actually is. That's the first implication. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There actually is a God out there separate from the universe. He existed before the universe, but there is actually a God out there, and he created the universe. That is right there. Again, it's something that many of us just take for granted, but right there, that is a huge truth, which changes many things of the way you live. And at some point, every human being ha will come, you know, has to come with, to grips with this question. Is there a God out there? We've, this has been through millennia, through centuries. Even atheists today, it's not, like they just wake, they, it's not like they're just born atheists and they grow up atheists and they never think about God. They become atheists because they wrestle with this, with this question. Every human being ends up at some point wrestling with this question, is there a God? And the first sentence of the Bible says very clearly, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, depending on your answer to that question, I said before, this verse has the power to change the trajectory of civilizations and has done that throughout history. It has the, the power to change the trajectory of a life. If you believe that there is a God or if you don't believe a God, it has a huge difference in the way you live. I mean, if, if you don't believe that there is a God, as, as many don't, there are many atheists in the world today, but if you don't believe that there is a God, it changes how you see everything. 
Because that means there is nothing beyond what we can see. The universe is all there is. There's nothing out beyond the universe. The universe just is. And that also means that you have absolutely no purpose in life. If atheism is true, if Genesis 1 verse 1 is not true, and there is no God who created the universe, then you and I are nothing more than highly evolved animals. We're just an accident. We're just lumps of molecules and matter. That's all we are. And when we die, that's it. It's over. There's no coming back. When a child dies or a spouse dies or a loved one dies, that's it. You'll never see them again. There's no purpose to your life. You just live and you die and that's it. And just to show you that I'm not making that up, I mean, it's, it's a depressing worldview. It really is. The late uh, William Provine, a respected author, historian of science, and professor of evolutionary biology at a big university in the States, was also, he was an avowed atheist and a very honest atheist. And he said this about atheism, the worldview. And he says this, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. And I must say that these are basically Darwin's views. So he's saying, this is the view of atheism. Okay, this is not just some guy on the street saying, this is my view on atheism. This is an expert who is an atheist, and he's talking about atheism in general, the, the philosophy, and he says this. This is what atheism, atheism is. There are no gods, no purposeful forces of any kind, no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I am going to be completely dead. That's just all. That's the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics. Think about each of these statements. No ultimate meaning in life and no free will for humans either. If atheism is true, all we are is an accident. We're just chemicals and molecules. Your thoughts, he talks about no free will. You, in atheism, you actually don't have free will. Because all, free will is just an illusion because all you are is chemicals and molecules and your feelings and thoughts are just the reactions of uh, you know, chemicals and molecules. That's all it is. There is no free will. There is no such thing as truth. They're just, it just is. You are what you are. Now, that's a very distinctly depressing worldview. And in contrast, that Genesis 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning that there is a person, a person of immense intelligence and power out there, separate from the universe, who made all of this, which in, immediately means two more things. First of all, that there is purpose, in contrast to the atheistic worldview, and that there is hope. There is purpose. If there is a God out there in the beginning God created, then you are not just an accident. Someone out there had you in mind and made you. Now, regardless of your feelings, I know a lot of people often feel like they don't have purpose or they feel like they're searching for their purpose and they want to know what their purpose is. And so sometimes people struggle with this thing. I feel like I have no purpose in life. Those feelings aside, those feelings are not reality. If someone made you intentionally, then you have a purpose. Even if you don't discover that purpose, even if you don't live out what that purpose is, the fact that he made you, at the very least, he made you for his enjoyment, for his pleasure, you have a purpose, you are not an accident. That is a direct result of Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created. And then the second thing that goes with that is there is hope. First of all, we have hope in life. In the beginning, God created. That means, the implications of that are huge. That means there is a being out there who is bigger and more powerful than the universe itself. Is that not what it means? Because if there's a separate being out there from the universe and he made the universe, then everything in the universe is, is smaller and, and not as powerful or as big as he is, which means this, hope in life. Because not one of your problems or the things that are overwhelming you today, not one of the things that you feel you're stuck in, that you can't get out of, that is just way over your head, not one of those things is over that person's head. Whoever made the universe is bigger than everything in the universe. Amen? We have hope in life. Now, this particular verse here does not speak about prayer. The rest of the Bible goes on to speak about prayer. But we can talk to this incredibly powerful, infinitely intelligent being who created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created means there's a God out there who is bigger than all of your issues. And you can talk to him. We have hope in life. But we also have hope in death. We have hope in death. If atheism is true, if there's no God, then death just is. It's the end of everyone. And if you die today or a loved one dies today, 
that's it, they're gone, you'll never see them again. There's no overcoming death, it's just part of what the universe is. But if in the beginning God created, there's someone outside of death. There's someone outside of time, someone who created the universe and space of time. He is eternal, and we call him God. We know his name, his specific name, Jesus. But if it's true that there is someone out there separate from the universe, and that means we not only have hope in life, we have hope in death. Because there's someone out there again who is bigger than this universe, who is bigger than time, who is bigger than death. And again, the contrast here with atheism is profound. I want to read you one more atheist quote. This is a famous atheist author, Richard Dawkins, and he tells stories about people becoming horribly depressed when they read his books. And here are some of those stories in a, in a short quote. He says this, A foreign publisher of my first book confessed that he could not sleep for three nights after reading it. So troubled was he by what he saw as its cold, bleak message. Others have asked me how I can bear to get up in the morning. A teacher from a distant country wrote to me reproachfully that a pupil had come to him in tears after reading the same book because it had persuaded her that life was empty and purposeless. He advised her not to show the book to any of her friends for fear of contaminating them with the same nihilistic pessimism. Now, when you read a quote like that, again, my point, by the way, I should just say this. My point here is not that every atheist out there is depressed and miserable. It's not true. I know atheists out there who are really actually quite wonderful, nice people. And unfortunately, on the other hand, I also can't say that every Christian is joyful and kind and wonderful. <laughs> Fortunately, the world is a bit more complicated than that. So the point is not that every atheist out there is just a miserable, depressed person. My point is that any of those nice, wonderful atheists out there, and there are many of them, they aren't nice and wonderful and joyful because of their worldview. They are nice and wonderful and joyful in spite of their worldview. Because the worldview itself is, it's nihilistic pessimism. It's just, you are and you're done and there's no purpose to it. That's the worldview. Now again, many atheists, just like Christians, uh, spend much of their lives distracted from their worldview. They don't actually think that much about their worldview. You don't get up every morning and say to yourself, there is no purpose everything that ends, if I die today, that's it, and I'll never be remembered, and nobody will ever see me again. You don't wake up and do that. You get up and think about buying a new house, and getting through the day of work, and doing all those things, and playing games, and you're, that's, atheists get through their lives. Unfortunately, like too many Christians go through their lives, which is just distracted from their worldview, and without purpose. But the worldview itself, if you're consistent with it, again, at, and at some point, being distracted doesn't work. Because at, a, at certain points in your life, you will have to face up to what your worldview is, like at a funeral. And when a person with an atheistic worldview buries a child, what hope is there in that? In their worldview, you will never see that child again. In that worldview, the, all their child was, was, a, was again, a, a bunch of molecules, a, a lump of of water and skin and all this sort of stuff. That's all your child was. Your child is gone. You'll never see them again. That is a depressing worldview. Whether or not you feel depressed is another thing. And yet in contrast again to that, in the beginning, God created gives us tremendous hope. Well, it, I want to go to a fourth implication. A fourth implication of the fact that in the beginning, God created means that also we have a basis for morality, a basis for determining right from wrong. If there is no God outside of our universe, if it is not true that in the beginning God created and the universe has just always existed and we're just an accident of evolution, then all we are is really just intelligent, slightly less hairy and, and maybe a little cuter uh, monkeys. That's really what we are. That, that, honestly, that's what the worldview is. If there's no God that made us, we're just an accident of nature. We're just more intelligent monkeys. And if all we are is more intelligent monkeys, then we have no basis for determining what is right or wrong. Isn't that true? I mean, what, on what basis, if there is no God who in the beginning created, on what basis can we look at another culture where maybe they buy and sell slaves? On what basis can we look at that culture and say what you're doing is wrong? Well, someone argues, but it, it is wrong. I mean, slavery just is wrong. Well, based on what? Well, it just feels wrong. We just know it's wrong. It doesn't feel wrong to them. It doesn't feel wrong to them. It feels wrong to you. It doesn't feel wrong to them or they wouldn't be doing it. 
On what basis do you say what is right or wrong? On what basis do you say a terrorist is wrong? Well, it's just obviously wrong to go and kill people because of their beliefs and to do acts of terrorism. Yeah, it feels wrong to you. It doesn't feel wrong to them. That's why they're doing it. And who's to determine who's right? If all we are is animals, there is no basis for determining right or wrong. Now, again, my point is not that atheists are all immoral people who don't believe in right and wrong. All the atheists I know are quite moral people. They do have personal ethics and all these sorts of things, and I'm very thankful for that. My, my point here is not that atheists are raving lunatics that do crazy bad things all the time. It's not true. My point is, though, that when they have their own personal ethics and morals and are kind, nice people again, they are those things in spite of their worldview, not because of their worldview. Because if atheism is true and in the beginning there was no God who created anything, the universe has just always been, then all we are animals, and animals can't do wrong. Can they? Can animals do wrong? I mean, like, like wrong. I mean, they can do things that drive us crazy, but they, they can't do wrong. I, I mean, this last, uh, over the, you know, over summer, I watched uh, some uh, nature videos with my kids, and it's amazing some of the things you see, the shocking things you see in nature videos. Um, like, literally, I'm not making that up. You see shocking things in nature videos, and you're watching with your kids, and you're like, eh, I don't know if they should have watched that, right? I mean, did you know that I mean, most of you, I'm sure, do know this, but that, like, female spiders, after mating, will often eat the male spider. I mean, that is disturbing on so many levels. <laughs> right? But, you know, you, you watch a, a video about female spiders doing this horrible thing, and at the end of it, there's no telethon, and, uh, and people wringing their hands saying, we've got to raise $10 million, and we've got to raise awareness about this, and we have got to stop female cannibalism after mating. Like, wait, <laughs> there's none of that. Nobody's concerned, right? Nobody's going, oh my goodness, what an atrocity. They're animals. And in particular, they're ugly animals. Like, those are gross ones, right? But I mean, dolphins, I mean, they're smiling all the time. They're cute. I read some horrific things, which I won't even bring up here on the video of sermon of what they do, it's bad, okay? We had a, those of you with uh, pet house cats, okay? House cats. House cats are sociopaths. <laughs> they are. We had a cat, Sylvester, growing up, and the things that that cat would do to birds, it was deeply disturbing. I remember one bird literally begging him to kill him, but, but he just wouldn't kill him. He just tortured him for hours. Like, it was awful. And my brother Stefan enjoyed the whole thing, which is another thing. <laughs> yeah, just... But nobody's crying about that. Nobody's trying to work with cats and, and do counseling with them or any of that sort of thing because they're animals. Well, again, if all we are is animals, there's no difference. Again, I know that atheists can be nice people, but they can't be consistent with their worldview and say that there's any such thing as right and wrong. That worldview does not give you the ability to have a foundation of right or wrong. So again, the implications of this sentence, in the beginning, God created are huge. If it's true, then there's, there's laws that govern morality, there's hope, there's purpose because there's a God out there. Well, I want to look at a fifth implication, and the fifth implication is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth means that, and at first this one won't seem profound, but this one has had profound influence on the cultures of our world and the course of human history, but the fifth implication is that God is one and he is separate from the universe. In the beginning, God. He's one God. And he created the heavens and the earth, which means he is separate from the heavens and the earth. He existed before, and then he created them. Now you say, well, how is that profound? It just seems obvious. Well, again, it seems obvious to us. It seems profound to us. Or it doesn't seem profound to us, because we just grew up with this. We don't even think of the alternatives. But think of how many hundreds of millions, if not billions of people in our world today are born into cultures and throughout history where God is seen to be in everything. And everything that happens, you, you worship, he's in the trees, he's in the water, there's a God of the sun, or the sun is the God, and the moon, and you worship all these different deities, and when you need better, better weather, you worship that God of the weather, and you hope that happens. And, and that actually has a profound effect on how you live your life. It has a profound effect on how you live your life. And in fact, believing that God is one and that he is separate from the universe 
is, is profound because it actually sets the table. It is the foundation for a rational, scientific worldview. And that is not obvious to many of you, but let me just uh, walk you through some things. First of all, have you ever stopped to wonder why in history a very select few group of nations, huh? have you ever stopped to wonder why a very select few group of nations, a very select few civilizations in the last thousand years have given birth to almost all of the inventions and technological leaps that define today's modern world? Have you ever stopped to wonder why that is? Like if we look through human, if we look at you know human history in the modern world, what we should find is over the last thousand years, over here in this country, they've had a few inventions, and this country had a few inventions, and this country had a few inventions, and this country had a few inventions, and then all these inventions came together, and and we have the modern world today. But it actually didn't occur. As politically incorrect as it is to say, actually that's not how history has gone. Pretty much all, you go back a thousand years, pretty much all, not all, but pretty much all of the major inventions and leaps of knowledge and technology that define the modern world today all came out of European nations or European descent nations, North America, otherwise known as Western civilization. And let me just read you off a few examples, and I could read you off dozens and dozens and dozens. Going back, the iron plow, which might not seem like a great invention now, but it actually paved the way for population growth and all kinds of stuff the windmill, the printing press, penicillin, electricity, the light bulb, the telephone, the internal combustion engine, wireless communication, and on and on and on and on and on, all comes out of Western civilization. Now the question is, why? Why? Is it because we're smarter than everybody else? Absolutely not. You just have to live here for a little while to know that. I mean, just read the Western news for 15 minutes a day and you'll figure out, in some cases, I wonder if we're dumber than everybody else. So all around the world, God created all these different peoples and tribes and nation, and we're all human. There's no, it's not an intelligence difference. It's absolutely not an intelligence difference. And yet, you can go to remote places in the world right now. You can go to places in the Amazon jungle. You can go to remote places of Africa where there are tribes of people who are living exactly as their ancestors did thousands of years ago. And again, the issue is, has nothing to do with intelligence. In fact, those people, many of them, are incredibly intelligent and ingenious in the way they live in the jungles. You and me would be dead in the Amazon jungle within 24 hours. I have no question about that. And if we weren't dead after 24 hours, we'd probably kill ourselves. It would be so bad. But these people are ingenious. They know how to live in there. They know how to thrive. It's not intelligence isn't the issue. And yet... They haven't invented bicycles or guns or computers. They haven't even done anything. They haven't done remotely any kind of scientific study that would do that. They're very smart, but they don't move in that direction. And the question is why. It doesn't have to do with intelligence. It has to do with worldview. See, the thing is, if you see the world in an irrational way, that the world is not based on patterns and laws, that the nature is not based on laws and patterns, if you instead believe that there are gods in everything, then you have an irrational worldview, not in the sense that you're not smart, that you're irrational that way, but what, you, what that means is when the weather comes and you don't like it, you're not studying weather patterns, you're not studying uh, why air molecules expand or contract or all those sorts of things. You're just going to the temple and you're trying to appease that particular God. And you can be incredibly intelligent and be very ingenious in all kinds of things, but the, but the idea of doing science to study the laws that govern the universe don't occur to you because you don't have a worldview that allows it to occur to you. But you go back a thousand years, and you could go back further than that, but really it's in the last thousand years where the West really began to take off and leave the rest of the, rest of the world behind. And of course now, the rest of the world for the most part has adopted a scientific mindset as well. My point isn't that they're not scientific now. My point is that science was birthed out of one civilization, not out of many. And the reason is, you go back and read all the Christians, you go back a thousand years, 500 years, 800 years, many of the pe most of the people doing science in those days were Christians. It's an embarrassment to a lot of non-religious folks now who don't like Christianity. And often they write, the reason they're doing science is because of this. They believe that this hyper-intelligent being, God, designed the universe. And as a result, they believe that the universe operated to, to uh, principles and rational laws that could be discovered, that could be studied, that could be investigated. And as a result, they were just like if an engineer, you know, makes, you, you find a beautiful watch and you want to pull it apart and see, how did he put this thing together? How does it work? It's not a magic box. 
There's things that make it work, and that's what motivated early Christians, or many Christians to, in the early days of science, to investigate and to discover. You know, it's interesting even to use one, I just want to use one more example. I, I just really enjoy history. And by the way, those of you who want to read anything, I've got a, I don't have one or two books. I've got like five or six books I can recommend to you. We have a bunch of them in the library. If you want to talk to me after, send me an email. If you want to read more in history, especially those of you young people who are in university, I would highly recommend it. Uh, we have some great books on history and how Christian, uh, the Christian worldview set the modern world up for the way it is today, whether it be democracy uh, and also, you know, moder modern life and technology and science and all sorts of things. But it's interesting even to look at an example. Would, would you like to hear just an example of an invention that came out of a non-Western nation and just to see how it's a little different? Let me, let me share it with you. Um, one example of an invention that didn't come from Western civilization was gunpowder, okay? And it's interesting, though, to see the difference between how a worldview changes the way you invent and why you invent. And it's true, the Chinese, because they're very bright people, obviously. All human beings are incredibly bright and intelligent. It's true. Well, not all human beings, I should say. All nations and races are very intelligent. I, not all human beings are very intelligent, but, but uh, that's another discussion. But the Chinese invented centuries in advance, literally at least a couple of centuries before Europeans had gunpowder, the Chinese had invented gunpowder which is really, really fascinating. And so the question is, how did they come upon gunpowder? Had they begun to do science in the way that we understand science today? And the answer is, is no. Did you know that they were actually looking to find the uh, potion that would give eternal life? And they were looking for a potion that if you drank it would give you eternal life. Now, I don't know how you get gunpowder when you're looking for a potion that gives you eternal life, but they were looking for a potion that would give life, and instead they got a potion that gives death. But anyway, they stumbled. In looking for a potion that would give eternal life, they stumbled on gunpowder, and so they invented gunpowder. Now, it's interesting, in a couple of centuries after that, uh, they got really good at doing fa fireworks. That's really cool. Uh, and they also started, they used it for weapons, but they never advanced the technology very far. And again, it's because of worldview. They never took it very far. They had two centuries in which they could have advanced far beyond Western civilization. And instead, they just kind of did what they did. Again, not because they're not smart, but because of a worldview. Now, the Europeans came along in the 1300s, and there's many, many books written on this topic. I didn't realize it was such a big topic, but there's debates on how did Europeans uh, get gunpowder. Did they get it from the Chinese? Did they invent it on their own uh, separately? There's a whole debate about that. But anyway, sometime in the 14th century, Europeans got gunpowder. Now, the interesting thing is the Chinese had a 200-year start, but within 50 to 100 years, uh, the European nations had taken gunpowder. Unfor now, unfortunately, and again, you know, they had taken it, the technology to incredible heights, and as a result of that, literally dominated the world for the next number of centuries. Now, again, my point here is not to say that was a good thing. I'm not, even, I'm not saying here at all that Western civilization is superior to the other civilization. I mean, history shows that our forebearers in Western civilization often used the technology and knowledge that they had for bad, to enslave people, to destroy, to, to start wars, and all that sort of thing. My point isn't that everybody in Western civilization was a Christian. They absolutely were not. Many of them did not know the, the love of Jesus and did not walk with him and did horrible, terrible things. But my point is their worldview in terms of what is the universe like was based on Genesis 1.1, which is that a rational mind made the universe, therefore we can investigate and study it, and that's where science came from. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, has the power not just to change a life, it changes the trajectory of history and of civilizations. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's look at one more implication, a sixth implication of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the implication is obvious, obviously stated in the verse, there was actually a beginning. There was actually a beginning. And again, many of us just take this for granted. You were raised in a Christian home, of course there was a beginning. God created the earth. It had to have a beginning. That just makes sense. How could it not have a beginning? But that's, you're just a fish swimming in the water. You don't even know what you're swimming in. And that is not something we should take for granted. Throughout history, many civilizations and cultures have thought of the universe as be existing forever. And again, it changes the way you the, it changes the way you do science, it changes the way you look at the world, it changes the way you do your life. But, it's, but Aristotle would be one famous example. Aristotle, maybe one of the most famous ancient philosophers of all time, argued 
that the, the universe and the earth must be eternal. I don't know if that's actually how he looks, but that's the statue we have of him. And of course, scientists in the 1800s and 1900s, unless you were a Bible-believing scientist, pretty much all scientists in the 1800s and 1900s believed that the world, the universe, had always existed. How could it not have always existed? It's here. And if at some point it had just come into existence, that would mean somebody had made it, in which case there must be a God, and they just did not believe that. So science just accepted that the universe was eternal, just like Aristotle had many thousands of years before in many other cultures. But then in 1915, Albert Einstein, I've talked about some of this before, but I, this worldview and the story behind this worldview, it's important for us as Christians to know some of these things. But Einstein, him of the wonderful hair and the brilliant mind, uh, in 1915 published his theory of general relativity. Many people talk about EMC equals MC squared. It's a little more complicated than that. But he came up with his theory of, of relativity. Interestingly enough, in university, I took a whole, uh, whole class uh, uh, semester um, on Einstein and the theory of relativity, which was absolutely fascinating. It's really fascinating. When he was, I think he was around 17 years old when he came up with the theory of relativity, and he came up with it in his mind. Like the stuff he came up with, and I can't go into whole uh, discourse on relativity, but it's interesting that relativity is not something that makes sense. It's not something you can see, and yet it ends up being true. A lot of his theories got proved after he was dead. Yet somehow when he was 17, 18, he was getting these ideas about the speed of light and time and space and all these things. It's crazy. Anyway, he publishes his theory in 1915, and after that, it's just a theory at this point. After this, he's got he's to make it work. He's got to build a model, and I don't mean like a paper mache model. I mean, he's got he's to build a model that takes this theory of general rel relativity and explains how the universe actually works. And so it took him a couple of years to do that. And around 1917, he had this model. Now, the only thing is he got really disturbed as he was making, building this model on his, on his theory, he realized that according to his theory, something he hadn't realized practically was that if his, if his theory was correct, the universe was expanding. Now, at this point, no scientist had ever thought that the universe was expanding. Because if the universe is existed forever, it must just be in a static state. If it's expanding, it can't be forever because if it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, then if I go back in time, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and then there's a point at which it must have started. And so I don't even know if it's so much that Einstein consciously thought this, I don't, and I don't think he did, I don't think he consciously thought this would mean there's a God, therefore I reject it. I just think his worldview was so stuck, along with everybody else, that the universe must be forever, that he thought this couldn't be true. So he put a fudge factor in his equation to make it so that his theory of relativity would say that the universe was not expanding. So interesting. Unfortunately for him, 10 years later, well fortunately and unfortunately, I mean, he ended up being right in the first place is there was a man by the name of Edwin Hubble who was obsessed with really big telescopes. And he would build telescopes and then he would look through them and then he would build bigger ones and look through them. And that, that just seems to be a male thing often, right? So anyway, he just built bigger and bigger and bigger and he would just keep looking through them. And he was peering deeper and deeper into space about 10 years later and he noticed that the deeper he looked into space, he noticed the galaxies, no matter what direction you were looking in, the galaxies were moving farther away from us in every direction. And the further you looked into space, the faster they were moving away. And he realized Einstein's original theory was correct. The universe is expanding. And immediately, like, we don't even understand today how much of a revolution to everybody's worldview that was. That was, I mean, everybody just accepted as fact, except for people who believe in the Bible, that in the beginning God created. And the idea that the universe was not, uni was not eternal, that it had actually started at a point in the past, and then was now getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, was absolutely mind-blowing. And very quickly within the 1920s, they started calling it the Big Bang. And interestingly enough, it was a Christian guy who coined the term. And I bring that up because I know a lot of Christians today are skeptical of the Big Bang. But do you know who the biggest enemies of the Big Bang were in the early days of the Big Bang? Atheists. Atheists couldn't stand the idea of a Big Bang because that means there's a start. And if there's a start, there must be someone who fired the starter pistol. And so for decades and decades and decades, atheists were coming up with all kinds, oh, not just atheists, I shouldn't, it wasn't, it was scientists, and but they just thought the, the universe must be eternal. So they had all kinds of theories, the multiverse and, 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 and the, the, the crocodile mouth, the, um, 
oscillating universe theory. And so one of the big ones that they came up with was the oscillating universe theory that the universe has forever been expanding and then contracting, and then expanding and contracting. And that's why we see it expanding today, but it doesn't have a start time in the distant past. It's just been doing that forever because the universe must be forever. Otherwise, someone must have gotten this started. But interestingly enough, a few years ago, a couple of uh, mathematicians at MIT proved mathematically. And when you prove something mathematically, you have to understand the difference between math and the other science, sciences. When you prove something mathematically, it's proved. It's done. There's no undoing it. And they proved mathematically that no matter what theory you have of the universe, even if you hold to an oscillating up and down, multiverse, whatever it is, they proved. And I just looked it up again this week because I wanted to make sure. I laid my eyes on it again. MIT Technology Review. Um, they proved beyond a shadow of a doubt mathematically that no matter what uh, model of the universe you use, whether it's oscillating or multiverse or just expanding in, in one direction, all of them must have a beginning. And so after all of these thousands of years and many centuries and millions of dollars and bright people, we're back to where we started, which is what Genesis 1 verse 1 had all along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what that means is huge for our lives. It means, again, and I don't even want to use the term God for just a moment because sometimes we use words so much that they lose their power. Think about this. Out there somewhere, and again, we know his name is God. We know his name is Jesus. But out there somewhere is a being of immense intelligence and immense power who created everything we see. And you know, sometimes in nature, sometimes in nature, we get glimpses. You know, you go in the mountains, you look off of, a, of a, off of a high cliff or something, we get glimpses of the power of how big and majestic this being, God, must be. And I often go back, when I think of it, for me, one of the most powerful experiences like that was when my wife and I, a few years ago, went to the Grand Canyon, and, uh, and there's places, where, again, where the Grand Canyon is 6,000 feet deep. It's a mile down. You can stand at the edge, and you're looking a mile down. There's places where it's that deep. And for me, it was, a, it was like a spiritual experience at times. You're standing there, and you're just in awe because you feel so small. Someone made this. In the beginning, God. Someone made this. And he must be absolutely massive to stand at the edge of a ledge and look down a mile, it just gives you goosebumps. My, my hands would get sweaty. It's just, you lose kind of all perspective. It's just stunning and you feel small in the scope of things. In the beginning, God created. He is massive and he is powerful. But you know what the crazy thing is? I mean, ultimately in the grand scheme of things, the Grand Canyon, the mountains, all these sorts of things, they absolutely blow our minds, and we think, how big this God must be. But do you know, in the grand scheme of things, the Grand Canyon is nothing. I mean, if we sliced planet Earth in half, okay, if we sliced planet Earth in half, it's about 8,000 miles in diameter, okay, 8,000 miles. Okay, that, that brown ring, now this particular picture is not to scale, okay, but that dark brown ring you see around the outside, that's called the mantle. It's about 1,800 miles thick, okay? The tiny little blue ring you can hardly see that goes around the outside, the very outside of that mantle, that's the crust. You can barely see it there. It's only, on average, about 18 miles thick, okay? It's only about 18 miles thick. And do you know that with all of our technology and all of our money and mining machines, do you know that human beings in all of history have never managed to dig through the crust and even touch the mantle. Is that not crazy? Like, we think we've explored the whole earth. All we've done is run around on the top. <laughs> we just run around on the top. We haven't even explored all the top. I mean, you go to the deepest part of the oceans, and we haven't explored that. We just run around on the top. We've never even touched the mantle 1,800 miles deep. But that's 8,000 miles across. Now, do you know how far 8,000 miles is? To go down that far? I mean, if you got a minivan and four kids, I dare you to drive that and see how long it takes you. <laughs> that is a long, long, long way. And in the middle, that ball there, again, this isn't to scale, 
Um, but that ball there, the core, it's about 800 miles across. It's molten lead, 5,500 degrees uh, Celsius, uh, basically the same temperature as the surface of the sun. Now, I stood at the side of the Grand Canyon, and I went, wow, God is big. But the Grand Canyon is not even a nick you could see on this picture. It's barely a scratch on that tiny little blue thing that goes around there. And our God made, a, made an earth that is 8,000 miles through it, if you just went right through it, with a core at the middle that's 5,500 degrees Celsius. In the beginning, God. Think of how big and how powerful this God must be. And the crazy thing is, I mean, even the earth is nothing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and went, wow, there must be a God. And that Grand Canyon's hardly a nick in planet Earth. But you know, the planet Earth compared to the sun is just a tiny little dot. It's just a tiny little dot. 92 million miles from us is the sun. There you see the Earth. Now, how many of you can even see that little blue dot? Just raise your hand if you can see the blue dot. Oh, more of you than I thought. <laughs> if I don't have my glasses on, I can't see that. I even saw some 50-year-olds back there raising their hands. <laughs> that's incredible. But that's the year of 60. Yeah, but you're in the front row, Mom. <laughs> so I want you to think about that. You stand at the side of the Grand Canyon a mile deep, and you go, wow, there must be a God. And that Grand Canyon is barely a nick in that tiny blue dot. You could fit 1.3 million planet Earths inside that ball called the sun. And the crazy thing is, our sun isn't even a big star. It's actually a small star. If we just go, and I'll just keep one hand time behind my back because basically, well, and really I can't do anything else because we don't know much outside of our galaxy, but even if we just stay within the Milky Way galaxy, there are stars that absolutely are monsters compared to our sun. Our sun is just a small star. Staying within our own galaxy, there's a star called Eta Carinae, and it's about five million times bigger than the sun. Now you're going to have a real hard time seeing that, but there is a little red dot at the end of that arrow, and that's the sun. Now remember, this all started with you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's a mile down, and you go, oh my goodness. But that Grand Canyon is just barely a nick in this little blue planet. But that little blue planet is a little dot, and you can fit 1.3 million of them inside the sun, and that sun is just a tiny red dot you can barely see next to Eta Carinae. You want to know how big Eta Carinae is? I mean, five million times bigger than the sun. You want to know how, how much uh, bigger it is? Okay? Um, this is what I brought this up for. Okay. If we shrunk the sun down to the size of this green ball, okay, and I go over here, Okay, I'm, I'm out of the light, so the guy's going to be mad at me for this. That's fine. And I put the sun here. If the sun is here, you see this green ball? If, I, if I'm over here and the sun's here, okay, this is how far away planet Earth is. So if the sun's here, I'm just going to, well, you'll just know. It's at the, at the thing, okay? So here's the Earth. It's about, okay, that's planet Earth, and there's the sun, if the sun is this big, Okay. Now, Jupiter, if the, planet, if, that, if, if the sun, if we shrink it down to this size, and the sun's there, and the Earth's here, Jupiter is orbiting the sun. I actually can't get quite far enough on the stage, but this will just have to do. Jupiter is orbiting the sun over here. So there's the sun, if it's this big, and Jupiter is orbiting, this is only the radius, Jupiter is orbiting this far all the way around on the other side of that wall and around. So do you see that? If the sun is this big, you see how big Jupiter's orbit is? If you dropped Eta Carinae into the solar system, right in the middle where the sun is, its edges would reach the whole orbit of Jupiter all the way around. Do you think that your, God, your picture of God is maybe a little too small? Do you think so? Is that not an insanely big star? Here's the Grand Canyon. I'm going, wow, there must be a God, which is just a little bare nick you can barely see on the surface of, of planet Earth, which is just a little dot to the sun, which is nothing compared to Eta Carinae, which is as big as the whole circle that Jupiter revolves around the sun. In the beginning, God created this. And you know what? One more. I'm just going to stop with one more, and I could just keep blowing your mind, but, but I won't because it's not even good for us, I don't think. But, but there's an even bigger star in our galaxy, and it's called... Uh, Canis Majoris. 
And there's a little white dot there, which is the sun. You can only see a bit of Canis Majoris. And Canis Majoris is another 2,000 times bigger than that Eta Carinae, which I just showed you was as big as the orbit of Jupiter. Okay? Canis Majoris is so big, you could fit 9.3... Actually, I'm just going to keep this for one more thing. Is you could actually fit 9.3 billion planet... Or, I mean, suns inside of Canis Majoris. And in each of those suns, you could fit 1.3 million planet Earths. And on each of those planet Earths, the Grand Canyon is just barely a nick. Is that not just mind-blowing how big God is? You want, you want to know how big? I mean, you just have to get a picture. I just love doing these things. I, how many of you, I, I, I had so much fun early yesterday morning. Um, how many of you have ever calculated how many golf balls it would take to circle the earth? Has any of you ever done that calculation? <laughs> I, I did it yesterday. I calculated early in the morning. This is what happens when you get up at 4.30 in the morning. You uh, do crazy things. But anyway, so I, I calculated. I went on Google. I didn't actually have a golf. I'm not a golfer, so I didn't have an actual golf ball to measure. So I went on Google and it said the diameter of a golf ball is about 1.7 inches. So I just went on that. Okay. So based on that, how many golf balls do you think? If I laid the golf balls end to end to end to end to end, how many golf balls do you think it would take to go all the way around the Earth at the equator? Do have any idea? I mean, it's going to be more than 100, right? It's going to be more than 1,000. How many do you think? I was actually shocked at the number. How, how, many, how many do you think? Just someone just shout something out. What do you think? Eight billion. Okay, that's a, that's a great guess. Trillion, I heard a trillion. Those are, those are kind of guesses I would have given. Maybe a trillion or something. I mean, it's a golf ball. Go all the way around the earth. Do you know that it only takes a billion only? A billion golf balls. You lay them end to end to end to end. It'll go all the way around the earth at the equator one time. Now, at first I was disappointed. I'm like, only a billion? But then I was blown away. That number, a billion, is a lot bigger than we think. And you remember that the next time a politician says, hey, we just need to borrow another billion dollars. <laughs> we just listen to those numbers. We just listen to those numbers and it's like nothing. Oh, it's just another billion dollars in debt for our country. Who cares? Our kids and grandkids will pay that off, no problem. I want you to remember now, we're never paying it off. <laughs> a billion golf balls will take you all the way around the earth. Well, anyway, if Canis Majoris, okay, the sun is a golf ball, how, how big would Canis Majoris have to be? How many golf balls would it take to, to, to fill up Canis Majoris? How many suns would it take? Well, you'd have to have enough suns to go all the way around the globe. This is how many golf balls you need all the way around the globe. Once, twice, three times, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then another cool 300 million. <laughs> That's how many suns would fit inside Canis Majoris. And inside each of those suns would fit 1.3 million planet Earths. And on that planet Earth, the Grand Canyon is just a nick. Do you think that our picture of God is perhaps a little too small? I ask it again. In the beginning, God, there is someone out there. Like we say he's big. Canis Majoris is just a star. There's a there's hundred billion other stars just in our galaxy, and there's more than a hundred billion galaxies out there in the no, known universe. Canis Majoris itself is not even a scratch on the surface of the universe. Do you think our picture of God is maybe perhaps just a little bit too small? There is someone out there who made all of this. And you know what ama else is amazing? It was his idea to create you. And at some point in this message, I like to, series, I'd also like to get into a little bit the, the incredible detail, engineering marvels that are your cells and how your body functions. He, that God who is so big to create a universe that big cares enough about you to make you, and he actually even knows, Jesus said, how many hairs are on your head right now. Now, for some of you, that isn't a very hard number to know. <laughs> but for a lot of us, that's, that's pretty amazing. At every moment, he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. That God who made Canis Majoris, Eta Carinae, the sun, the earth, the Grand Canyon, is so big, and yet he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head today. Now, if there's one thing this truth should do for us today, it is this. It should motivate us to pray. Because the rest of the Bible goes on to talk to us about how we can talk to him. And my question to you today is, how many of you are overwhelmed by some problem right now? You feel like you can't get it answered, some issue, some person you've been praying for, and you've given up on praying because you just think it'll never happen. You've given up on that God? 
You've given up on that God who made all of that? You think your problems are too big for him to handle? You've lost faith in that God? Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. And finish with this. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. I think we can have faith in that God, hey? A God who's that big? Have faith in God. Absolutely, we can do that. Have faith in God. A God that big can handle any of your problems. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and of course, he can do anything to a mountain. A mountain is just a nick in planet Earth, which is just a dot to the sun, a dot to Etta Karen, and on and on and on. Of course, if God's on your side, a mountain is not too big. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I want you just to bow your heads with me this morning, and I want us to bring to God our needs and our prayer requests. And I just want you to think right now, if there's If there's something you've given up on, if there's a prayer request you've given up on, I want you to bring it to the Lord quietly in your heart right now. If there's a need, something you've been praying about for years, and you're like, Lord, are you ever going to answer? I want you to bring that need and that thought to God right now. In the beginning, God created. There is nothing too big for him. Is it your marriage? Is Is it a child? Is it a finance thing? Is it a health thing? I want us to bring our needs to this God who created this immense, incredible universe. Lord Jesus, and all of us quietly in your hearts now, I want you to, as I pray, I want you to bring these needs to him. We bring you our needs and our desires. We bring you our marriages and our children, our grandchildren. We bring you our health. We bring you our finances. We bring you all of our struggles. We bring you all of our hopes and our dreams and our failures. And we ask you, Jesus, I'm asking you for these people, and we're asking together, would you hear our prayers, and would you answer? Would you help us in our times of need? Would you give us the desires of our hearts? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.